Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Cat's Podcast. Independence Day occurred on July 4th, 1776, when the Second Continental Congress unanimously adopted the Declaration of Independence from British rule. The great Independence Day celebrating will be commencing again this coming Fourth Day weekend. According to the Los Angeles Times in 2014, experts such as the National Safety Council have shown the Fourth of July is the most dangerous American holiday weekend of the year. With that said, Tonight, I'd like to start off by reading a quote by a man who has been through the nightmare a parent hopes to never encounter. He's experienced seeing a young loved one leave the picture before he does, and through such uncontrollable catastrophe, he teaches invaluable wisdom. He is the author of the breathtaking book, Kevin's Last Walk. The author calls it a letter to Kevin. Now I quote, when you lose a child, the most that you can hope for is to make something very good come from it. And that is precisely what I plan to spend the rest of my life doing. With great condolement, let's welcome Barry Atkins to the show. Hi, Barry. Thank you for spending some time with us. Hi, Colin. How are you? Great. Now, in Arizona, you guys have various different weather systems, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What kind of, do you get, it gets really cold there during the winter? Uh, it can in northern Arizona. Uh, we have a cabin up there. We can get three feet of snow up there, and it can get below zero up there. But uh, down in the Phoenix Valley, uh, it uh, well, it's been 118 last week, so it can be very warm as well. Okay, yeah. It, so when you plan this this whole journey that we're going to be discussing pretty soon, I'm going to have you tell the story. Um, was it cold, or was what was the weather like? What time of year was it? So uh, that goes into the part of the planning of this. So I wanted to speak at high schools and that kind of stuff. So I had to leave in February from Arizona in order to be able to hit high schools and stuff uh, in the spring. Because if I went in the summer, then all high schools would be closed up. And so I left uh, in February and finished in June. Uh, beautiful day when you leave. Uh, you know, the Phoenix area, but I uh, certainly ran into snow and rain and wind and all of those sorts of things along the way. Okay, Barry, uh, please share with our audience um, your story. Okay, well, and, and that's a good word, story, uh, because I think the most important thing I want people to understand is that I'm not here to tell them how to live their life. Uh, they probably don't know me and I don't know them and have no business telling them how to live their life. Uh, I just tell the story. But as you listen to this story, uh, what I'd like you to do is think about what you want your story to be. Where do you want to be in five years or 10 years, 20 years down the road? Um, to describe Kevin a little bit, he was not a great student growing up. Um, he struggled throughout elementary and high school. Uh, in the fall of his senior year in high school, his older sister gave birth to a boy by the name of Colin. Uh, she was still living at home, going to school, working, trying to get her life together. And this meant that we had to watch Colin at night when she, until she got home from school. Most nights when she got home, Kevin would be asleep in her room with Colin. 
as I said, he was not a very good student. He was actually flunking his English class in March of his senior year in high school, and he needs it for graduation. And all the parents out there know exactly what Kevin would say. Yeah, 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 Dad, don't you worry your pretty little head about this. I'll take care of it. I know what I'm doing. Uh, but I didn't take his word for it. I would actually call the school and ask to talk to the teacher and ask all those questions like, was he there today? Did he turn in his assignments? You know, where are we with all of this? Uh, but the teacher knew what to do to motivate Kevin, so she would go back in the class and report back to him in front of all of his buddies that his daddy called to check on him. And then, of course, I would get the phone call. Would you knock it off? I'm like, look, just just take care of it. This is the only class you're close on. Take care of it. But he did get his grades up. And he did graduate, and after the high school graduation ceremony, he gave me a hug and whispered, thanks for not giving up on me, Dad. So he graduates from high school. Uh, he's working right out of high school, making good money. Um, he met my financial requirements, so I agreed to co-sign a loan so he could buy a new truck. And, you know, I... I was a dad, right? I said, you've got to give me three months' worth of insurance payments and car payments before I'm going to co-sign this loan. But he came up with the money, and I'm hoping that he'll go find the truck from a private party. I'm going to go down to the credit union, sign papers, and be out of there in five minutes. He finds one at the dealership. And I'm sure you've been through this process, Colin. You know they're going to try to sell me a bunch of stuff I don't need when I walk in there, right? Right. So I walk in, sit down in the dealership office, and the first thing the financial guy says to me is, how about some life insurance? And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. I said, look, man, I, I don't need any life insurance. My wife will do just fine if something happens to me. And the guy said to me, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about your son. And I'm that guy. I'm that guy who rather indignantly told him that 18-year-old boys don't need life insurance because they don't die. But I was wrong. They do die. He wouldn't live long enough to make a single payment on that truck. So he's graduated from high school. He's got money in the bank. He's got a new truck. He's 18 years old. We all know what's next, right? He wanted to move out. So I remember him coming into our living room one day, and we have this brown chair that sits in front of a big picture window and looks out over our backyard. And he sat down in that brown chair, and he started talking about how he couldn't believe his life was finally beginning. And I did my best to discourage him because I didn't want him to move out. And he wanted to move out. And I didn't have much luck talking him out of it. So a couple weeks later, his buddy Craig comes over, and they start the process of moving him out. He threw a bed, a TV, and a dresser in the back of his truck, and that was his idea of moving out for the day. They came back in, put some jeans in the dryer to de-wrinkle, and came back into the living room and told me something I've never forgotten. He said he wasn't going to take his toothbrush with him, and he'd be back tomorrow and get it. He put on his jeans, 
I walked out front with him like I normally do, gave him a hug, told him that I loved him to be careful, and watched him drive away. It was the last time I saw him alive. That night, his buddies decided to throw a little housewarming party for him. Started with a keg of beer, moved on to shots. He left a voicemail for his sister that night, talking about how he loves Colin more than anything in the whole world, how he just did six or seven shots in a row. If you listen to the voicemail, you think it's no big deal, it's just a bunch of kids partying. No big deal, except somebody died that night. That somebody was my son, Kevin. He passed out a short time after he left that voicemail. And the kids at the party laid him in his bed on his side in case he vomited. But the party was still going on. They went in and shaved his head and his legs while he was passed out because he just passed out, right? Not, not that big a deal. But his buddy Craig was worried about him and kept going back in to check on him. Around 4 a.m., calls started coming into 911. The first calls were difficulty breathing. Next calls were not breathing. My son died alone in a hospital while I slept peacefully in my bed. The next morning, the Sunday morning, my wife and I are sitting around drinking coffee, talking about what we're going to do that day or not do that day. At about 8.30 in the morning, the doorbell rings, and we're both looking at each other because we're not expecting company. And I open the door, and I see two police officers and somebody in plain clothes standing at my front door. Should have been a big red flag, right? It should have been, but I'm that guy. It didn't even occur to me that something bad had happened. I actually joked with them as they came in, thinking this had to have something to do with a dog or a parked car. I, I have no idea why they were there. They came in. One of the officers and the person in plain, plain clothes stayed by the front door. The other officer walked in and stood in front of that brown chair that Kevin had sat in two weeks before and talked about how his life was finally beginning. He said there had been an accident and that your son is dead. One of us finally asked who, because we have a number of children. It was Kevin. And they handed me his driver's license. There's something pretty final about it when a police officer hands you the child's driver's license. Because until that exact moment in time, you're holding out hope. This is all a big mistake. You need the Kevin Adkins that lives on the other side of town. You have misspelled the last name. Get out of here. You need to be three streets over, or at least next door, right? But when they hand you your child's driver's license, you know he's gone, and he's never coming back. I can only describe the days, weeks, and months after that as dark. There's just a lot of really ugly stuff you have to do. You have to tell that story over and over again. 
You have to prepare for a memorial. You have to sort out a little detail like, what are you going to do with his remains? I actually spoke at his memorial, and I'm going to read a, an excerpt of what I said. Many of you have asked, what can I do to help? Well, here's what you can do. Each of you can make something very good come from this. I don't know if it's one something very good or a thousand something very goods. It might be a tiny something very good or a huge something very good. But I am convinced that something very good can come from this. I don't know who, what, when, where, or how, but I know that it will. I ask each of you to find out something very good and make it happen. That is what you can do for us and for Kevin. So people might be wondering where that phrase, something very good, came from. One of the other things that happened a couple days after Kevin's death, I had another life-changing event. It was around 4 o'clock in the morning. I was laying in bed awake when I can only describe as a feeling that somebody walked into the room or something came into the room. There was a light, a light I'd never seen before and haven't seen since. The message was that something very good would come from this and that Kevin didn't suffer. Why I got this message, I don't know. There's there's a ton of people out there that are much better Christians than I am. But the only thing I can think of is that God knew I was in trouble and I was, and he sent the cavalry. We struggle with what to do with Kevin's remains. I actually grew up in Montana I live in Arizona now, but I grew up in Montana. Kevin lived here in Arizona, and he always talked about wanting to move to Montana someday and buy a ranch. We decided to take his ashes to Montana. I guess the easiest thing to do would be to put him in your backpack. Or, I'm sorry, to put him in a car and drive there. But I decided to put him in my backpack and walk there, not to raise money but to tell the story because I guarantee you this is not something you ever want to go through. So really there's three things that I would like everybody to take away from this. And the first one is about decision-making. The two most important decisions you're ever going to make are about drugs and alcohol. We all have heard stories. You need to educate yourselves about the dangers of drug and alcohol abuse as if your life and the lives of your children depend upon it. Because it does. And the second thing is about adversity. Bad stuff happens to all of us. You're not going to get that job. You're going to get laid off. You're not going to get the home or the car you want. The way you respond to adversity is going to define your life. 
Rosa Flood didn't say it might define your life. It will define your life. And third, and perhaps most important, is about forgiveness. It was easy for me to forgive the guys at the party because this was Kevin's decision, his choice. And it was easy for me to forgive my son because that's what parents do. But there's one person that was pretty hard to forgive, and the audience probably knows who that was. It was me. It took 1,400 miles and five pairs of shoes, but I have found a way to forgive myself. I heard a pastor describe it best once. He said that anger and vengeance lead to one thing, destruction. Forgiveness leads to healing. And sometimes, sometimes the most important person you need to forgive is yourself. Would you like to go into the story of your walk? Yeah, we can talk about that some. So the walk to Montana, um, it's kind of interesting. The idea to walk to Montana, uh, in my convoluted mind, how that came about was um, I grew up in Montana, obviously, but uh, Kevin always talked about wanting to move there. The idea actually came from the movie Lonesome Dove. It wasn't Forrest Gump. People have asked me that several times. Was it Forrest Gump? No, it was not Forrest Gump. It was Lonesome Dove. It's an old western with Tommy Lee Jones and Robert Duvall in it. And it was his favorite movie, and that's kind of where the idea to do it came from. In the movie, they did this on horseback. They actually took the body of one of the actors from montana to texas to bury him where he was the happiest they did it on horseback i knew i would never make it if i did it on horseback so i decided to walk there and tell the story so you started off and it was in it where in arizona did you start off at i started in gilbert arizona and finished in kalispell montana that's where i grew up it's uh, roughly 1,400 miles the route I had to walk. Because you imagine, I I couldn't get anybody to commit to let me walk on the freeway, which is the closest route. So I had to take side roads and that kind of stuff, which at the end of the day, it was kind of neat because I saw parts of Utah and Idaho and Arizona that I hadn't seen a lot of. And when you're walking, you get to see it in person and you get a really good look at it because you're walking, not driving. <laughs> Throughout the walk, did you did you think a lot? Did you was there a lot of thoughts that ran through your head? There was. You know, you uh, you played back a lot of fond memories. Um, you know, obviously when I was in Arizona, still there was a lot of places that Kevin and I had been uh, that I remembered. Um, you play back a lot of fond memories of, you know, everything that had happened. Uh, 
One thing I did not do was I did not wear headphones or listen to music or anything like that. I just let my mind go where where it wanted to go. Instead of listening to music, I just, you know, I just let it go where it was going to go. And, and a lot of times it, it, it just came back to remembering all the things that had happened and how it all happened. And clearly it was a, the whole thing was a, a life-changing event, but um, the something very good is really, um, it's been my mantra ever since. Um, I've told the story probably a thousand times to, I I don't know the number now, somewhere between 150 and 200,000 people. Uh, so I've, I've told it a lot of times, and uh, all I can hope for is to make something good come from it, because uh, money isn't going to fix the problem, right? Uh, sure, maybe I could have sued someone or maybe I could have created a bill to do something. I don't know. But for me, it was just to, just to tell the story. I just, and I still tell the story. It was, he died in 2005. It's 2021 and I'm, I'm still telling the story. Did you, did you answer? have any anxiety or forward and, you know, anticipation feelings of leaving his remains in Montana and turning away and, and going back to Arizona along the journey? That's a great question. Uh, and that's the part that, uh, I'm often asked, what did it feel like when you get there? Physically, it's a great relief get there because obviously you know walking 90 or 95 miles a week that's a physical challenge that uh, takes a little adapting along the way so it was physically a big relief to get there but emotionally now I'm going to leave his ashes there this is it this is this is where his ashes are going to reside so physically glad to have it done emotionally it was a little harder to, you know, leave his ashes there, but the reality is their ashes, his his spirit is, is in heaven. What are some of your fondest memories of him? Do you do you have some some memories that play over in your head often that you remember? You know <laughs> Yeah. Probably one of the more humorous ones was uh this old truck that he had, uh, you know, he, he was always worried about running out of toilet paper when we were out hunting or whatever. <laughs> and I must have found six rolls of toilet paper in the in the truck when I, when I went through it. But uh, it was the hunting stuff, you know. He he always talked real brave and stuff. But when you're camping out, you know, in the woods at night in the dark. He was a little less brave. He he wanted lights everywhere. And what was that? What was that? Did you hear that? I'm like, yes, that was a coyote. We're good. <laughs> so after after his death, did you did did you have to go see his body? Did you? Is it, how does that work exactly? Well, why don't I read something? I think this is probably the, a good time to jump in and read something. I wrote something I call a letter to Kevin. Okay. 
Uh, dear Kevin, well, son, it was one incredible journey. I kept you close to me all the way. Your ashes were there in my backpack to give me strength and courage every time I spoke. We walked together through barren deserts, withering winds, snow and rainstorms, up over high mountain passes, and down through beautiful sun-drenched mountain valleys for the final time. I played back so many fond memories of you as I walked, memories of the day you were born, your many baseball and soccer games, and trips to the county fair with your pigs. At the viewing before the memorial, I was there, but I didn't go in. I stood outside with friends and family, hugging, laughing, and crying. I chose not to see you lying in a casket, but to remember you as you lived, your love for a good laugh, a good friend, and for life. You taught me many things in life about being a father and what it means to love a child. Your death has taught me how deep that love goes and that life holds no guarantees. You taught me that God has a plan for each of us and that sometimes someone must die so that others might live. You are no longer with us physically, but you'll always be there in our hearts. Love the dead. Well, Barry, I, I greatly appreciate you coming on and sharing your story today. Can you um, give mm -hmm. everybody your information so that they know how to get get your book and how to get uh, your information for all the all the the information that you share and and your story? Sure. So um, the website is kevinslastwalk.com. Uh, but generally, I've gone to Facebook. That's where I generally post things. And on Facebook, it's Kevin's Last Walk, all one word. And then Twitter, it's Kevin's Last Walk. The book is available on Amazon. And it's Kevin's Last Walk, A Father's Final Journey with His Son. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show tonight and spending some time with us. You bet. It's been a great pleasure to hear your story and... Um, and the tragedy that you faced that everybody hopes to never have to and I greatly appreciate your time and I would like to have you come you on if help. you ever have any other um, if you ever write any other books or if you ever have any other updates on anything um, it'd be great to have you on on the show again sounds good let me know I'll let you know alright thank you very much thanks sir. for calling alright